Harvesting God, as we listen to your word by your Holy Spirit, lead our hearts in the way of everlasting. Amen. Now this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work with the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded to the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew Chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. It is the parable of the weeds among the wheat. He put, them before, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this Sunday we're into our third week of our summer preaching series, Questions for God. If you recall, earlier in the summer, Dan Wired, our director of Christian education, sent out a request to the congregation for questions that they might have for God. Once we had the results of the questionnaire, the pastors began to condense those down into a six-week preaching series. It really wasn't that hard because many of the questions were similar in nature. And not surprising to me, they are the questions that have plagued the human mind since the beginning. As I sat here in the sanctuary last Sunday listening to Peter's sermon on free will, 
I was thinking about my own theological wrestlings with these questions, especially our topic for today, evil. Since God is in control, why is there evil in the world? And secondly, why do bad things happen to good people? So my wondering and my wrestling reminded me of seminary a place where some people tend to gravitate to when they wrestle deeply with such questions. Now, as most of you know, I went to Columbia Theological Seminary, and the Masters of Divinity track at Columbia has uh, MDiv students taking theology their second year. Theology is the class that's kind of the central study that everything else in seminary filters through. A definition of theology that, I, theology that I find helpful is theology is the systematic study of the nature of God and more broadly of religious belief. All through our first year, anytime one of those hard theological questions came up in class, the professor would kind of artfully dodge the question asked by the eager student by saying, Oh, well, you'll study that more deeply in theology next year. You can imagine the anticipation that built up in our class after a whole year of hearing that all of our questions would be answered in the all-important theology class. Now, this class was taught by two well-published and well-loved professors, Dr. Shirley Guthrie and Dr. George Straub. So the first day of theology class, an eager student raised his hand and, of course, asked one of those questions, one of those questions that we've wrestled with for the ages, really a question that only God can answer. But Dr. Guthrie took a deep breath, and he looked that student in the eye, and he said, well, that's a mystery. And he went on with the rest of his lecture. You see, when it comes to questions like this, there is no pat or easy answer. In those moments, we must depend on what we do know about God, not so much about what we don't know. Paul, I think, explained it best when he said in 1 Corinthians, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. These questions are just a mystery to noted scholars and to everyday people like you and me, and that's okay. But we still struggle with it, especially when it comes to the question of the presence of evil in the world or why the innocent suffer. So if you've come here this morning to hear an answer to these age-old problems of evil and suffering, then my friends, you are surely going to be disappointed. I can't answer your question because I am not God. And only God can and will one day answer these questions. But all is not lost. What I can offer is my own wonderings and, yes, wrestling with these questions. Because I've certainly seen evil in my own life, 
and in my community, and I have suffered, and I have been beside those who suffer. I do want to make a distinction here. There is evil and there is suffering. They share some attributes, but they're different. Because of evil, we suffer. But we can also sometimes suffer apart from evil. We suffer sometimes because of human finitude. We are finite beings. And with that comes disease and accidents, natural disasters, things we have no answers for. We suffer from choices that we make, and sometimes we suffer from the choices that others make. It is probably the most common question asked of a pastor. Why am I suffering? And all I can do is point us to God's word, the attributes of God that we do know, and maybe today I can offer a few practical applications of how we live our life and live a God-directed life with questions like these unanswered. So let's dig a little deeper, take a little deeper dive. First with my sermon title was Weeds and Seeds. That phrase comes from our home, from Susie and I raising our kids and discussing with our kids all the time about choices that we make in life, about ourselves and about others. We can choose, as Peter said last week, we can choose freely to be the seed that nourishes ourselves and nourishes others and brings out the best of ourselves and the best in others, or we can be a weed. We can choke off light and life. We can be a false representation of who God intended us to be as a child of God. Because that question, weed or seed or good or evil, has been around since the dawn of humanity. That's why I chose the Old Testament reading from Genesis 2. It is said by some biblical scholars that it is a retelling of the creation story from Genesis 1. And in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it says in describing the Garden of Eden, Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, there's three words there I'd like for us to unpack a little bit. The first one is knowledge. The word knowledge comes from the Hebrew word dahat, which means understanding or wisdom. This word is only used twice in the book of Genesis, and in both instances, it's referring to this particular tree. The next word is the word that we use is good. In Hebrew, the word is tov, and it means to be pleasant or agreeable to the senses. And finally, there is evil, ra, which means disagreeable, unpleasant, misery. So the fruit of this tree would be understanding or wisdom about what is pleasing, what is agreeable, but also what is unpleasant, what is disagreeable. Now, I tell you all this to reinforce that modern humanity did not create evil. Evil has been 
around since humanity was formed. Although we've done a pretty good job of perfecting it lately, and evil will be with us until God comes and set things right. We can search the pages of the Bible and we can see repeatedly people dealing with the presence of evil, suffering, and God's redemptive power over all of it. Abraham and Sarah are saints in the Bible. They are the father and mother of the Jewish nation, and they are ancestors of Christ himself. Abraham is to be a blessing, and all families of the earth are to be blessed through him. And Sarah, his wife, the mother of Isaac, through whom are descended the people of Israel. But does all that excuse them from evil? Because that is exactly what they do when they agree together to expel Hagar and her son, also Abraham's own son, Ishmael, into the desert. Expelling a woman and a young child into the desert with no supplies and no guardians was surely a death sentence. It could only be described as evil. And when we talk of suffering, I'm sure for many of us, there no one comes to mind quicker than poor Job. No one suffered like him. In the midst of his pain, his wealth and property destroyed, his children were violently killed, his body covered with disease sores and racked with pain. Yet he was able to lift his eyes towards heaven and he cried out, I know my Redeemer lives. Job was, Job was saying, I know that this is not the way it ends. And of course, there's Moses. No place in the Old Testament is God's redeeming power over evil on such display. His back against the raging Red Sea, the most powerful army on the face of the earth bearing down on him, his own people ready to turn him away and angry at him for leading them into this death trap. Yet he rises to his feet and stretches out his staff over the raging sea and tells the people, stand back and watch the delivering power of the God of the universe. In other words, Pharaoh's powerful army was not the end of Moses' story. Whatever hard and difficult, painful moment we may experience in life, Always remember, those moments do not define us. They certainly shape us, but they do not define us. The pain and suffering that is part of this, night, of this life is not the end of the story. And this takes us to the New Testament. What was Jesus trying to tell the disciples and us about what was to come? Unfortunately, many of us have drifted away from our agrarian roots, but for the farmers in the crowd, we most certainly understand the evil of weeds in our garden or our fields, especially a weed that looks like the plant that we're trying to grow. Jesus is talking about the bearded darnel, a weed that imitates and looks exactly like wheat. The bearded darnel, or also called the poison darnel, 
usually grows in the same areas of the world that wheat does. It is wicked and evil in its presence for any wheat farmer. The similarity between the two plants is so extensive that in some areas the darnel is called false wheat. A stalk of darnel and a stalk of wheat look almost exactly alike until the end of their growth cycle, when the ears appear. The ears on a real stalk of wheat are so heavy with kernels that it makes the entire plant start to droop. But the darnel whose ears are light will stand up straight and tall. The wheat also appears to brown when it's ripe, whereas the darnel turns black. In Jesus' story, the owner of the field knows what happens at the end. The harvester would easily be able to distinguish what was wheat and what was a poisonous weed. They just had to wait till the end. The owner of the field was aware that the poisonous weed existed, but he counted on the good seed to grow to maturity, to be identified, and to be harvested. The weed would also be easily identified and burned. It's really all about perspective. Evil and suffering seem impossible to comprehend, but Jesus wanted his disciples and you and me to know that things look different depending on the point of view. For instance, on the other side of the resurrection, everything looks different. Between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, everything changes. So I began with a, serm- with, a, with a story about seminary, so I'll close with one. Seminary at Columbia starts with Greek school, a 10-week crash course in biblical Greek. For those of us that are non-language people, it's a pretty rough 10 weeks. But as in every class, there are those students who get it, who gets what going on, who understand what's going on, and they race ahead of the rest of the class. And when one of those students would raise his or her hand and ask our professor, Dr. Beth Johnson, one of those forward-thinking questions, she would always respond with scripture. From Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, this is where Jesus is kind of winding down the Sermon on the Mount, and he admonishes all his listeners to not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have its own worries. Now, Dr. Johnson's translation of this verse was, let the evil of the day be sufficient thereunto. The students paraphrase that a little bit into, let the evil of the day be the evil of the day. And I think we even made some t-shirts that had that on the front of them when we finally passed her class. Now I say all this not to make light of evil. Evil is real. It's vicious. It's gut-wrenching. It's life-altering. It's insidious. It is a destroyer. It is real. But for us as followers of Christ, it is to look to the one who was beaten And crucified. For what? What crime did Jesus commit? Murder? 
theft, stealing? What awful crime would reserve, should deserve such a horrible death? No, Jesus spoke the truth in love, and he was brutally tortured and beaten and left on a cross to die for it. Yet his last words to a stranger, a robber on the cross next to him, were about forgiveness and mercy and eternal life in the presence of God. So my friends, there is evil in this world, there is suffering, there is injustice, it permeates our societies, and it is part of us. But for me, the lesson is perspective. Where we stand in that bending arc of time. Jesus later in Matthew attempts to explain this parable to his disciples in Matthew 13:40, And I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. The picture of thistles pulled up and burned is a scene from the final act. The Son of Man will send his angels, weed out thistles from God's kingdom, pitch them in the trash and be done with them. They're going to complain to high heaven, but nobody's going to listen. At the same time, ripe, holy lives will mature and adorn the kingdom of their father. Are you listening to this? Really listening? My friends, God will redeem the world. God will end suffering and evil in a single stroke. Yet until that day, we must do our part to confront evil and suffering in our own hearts and in the world, to stand tall and righteous like flowing fields of wheat, beacons to those who suffer and are hurting. But until that day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.